You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. Emergency Directive 19-01 tells U.S. federal civilian agencies to take steps to stop an ongoing DNS hijacking campaign. The U.S. National Intelligence Strategy is out, and it prominently features cyber as a topical mission objective. France says that war has begun in cyberspace and that the enemy should be on guard. British barristers scramble to restore secure email. A metals firm sustains an attack on business systems, and some clowns cut Australian telecoms cables. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, January 23, 2019. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security yesterday issued an emergency directive to non national security agencies enjoining them to secure their networks against a DNS hijacking campaign widely, if unofficially, attributed to Iran. The warning, Emergency Directive 19-01, was issued by the Department's Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA. It tells the civilian agencies whose security CISA oversees to mitigate DNS infrastructure tampering. The unnamed threat actor operates, the Emergency Directive says, in discrete stages to redirect and intercept web and mail traffic. Other network services are also presumed to be vulnerable. The attack begins by compromising user credentials to an account that can change DNS records. Then it proceeds to use those credentials to alter DNS records, replacing the legitimate address of a service with an address the attacker controls. Thus, traffic can be directed for manipulation or inspection, depending upon the attacker's purpose, before the traffic is passed to the legitimate destination. The ability to set DNS record values also enables the attackers to get valid encryption certificates for the affected domain names. This exposes user-submitted data to decryption and does so in a fashion that doesn't generate error warnings for the users. Agencies are directed to respond to the threat with four actions they are to take within 10 business days, First, audit their DNS records and report any that don't resolve to their intended location. Second, change all their DNS account passwords. Third, add multi-factor authentication to all DNS accounts. If the agencies have some systems where they can't accomplish this, they are told to alibi them to CISA. 
Finally, after they receive new certificates via CISA's Cyber Hygiene Service, begin monitoring certificate transparency logs and report any unauthorized certificates to both the issuing certificate authority and CISA. The Washington Post reports that defense and intelligence systems were unaffected. They are, in any case, outside the responsibilities of CISA. Security organizations continue to struggle with the so-called skills gap, the shortage of qualified workers to fill open positions. Crucial Academy in the U.K. is one of many organizations looking to help close that gap. Tom Huckle is head of the Crucial Academy. Over here in the UK, in, in Parliament, and the UK Joint Committee, they concluded that the shortage of specialist skills and deep technical expertise was one of the greatest challenges faced by the UK's critical national infrastructure operators and regulators uh, in recent times. And so it, it's, it's being discussed at the, the very highest levels. And, and despite, for example, over here in, in Europe, we have GDPR, where the potential penalties now are so much more than what they used to be under the old um, Data Protection Act 98. The questions really that goes to companies really and industry and governments is can we really rely on taking this risk of not filling the skills gap, which is so apparent with kind of every kind of um, report that comes in saying that there's a requirement for it. We have for over here in the UK something called the National Security Strategy, which I, which I mentioned, and it just it says that two of the main reasons that we're up against here in the UK is that there is a lack of young people entering the profession in the first place. And there's also an, ab- uh, an absence of established career and training pathways into the profession. But really then the, the solutions you've, you've got of it as a business is you've got to kind of recruit talent yourself, which is really difficult in this area because there's not many people out there. You've either got to train or upskill your current workforce who are already kind of in the cybersecurity arena, or you've got to try and uncover hidden talent within the business with transferable skills. So my real question when I came to you was like, how, how can we solve this? What's one of the reasons, especially with Brexit looming ahead, which is only going to impound the issue for the UK? Hmm. Yeah, and one of the points that you made is that perhaps uh, there's a pipeline to be mined there from the military. I think there is. Um, I was military myself. I was I served in the Royal Marines um, for eight years. So I, I, I've been there and I, I'm very much a product of this pipeline that when I was going through, it didn't exist you just got to look currently at the state of the UK military at the minute. I mean, just in the last 12 months, um, nearly 15,000 people have left the armed forces. So there's an incredible amount of people coming out who are probably asking this same question in regards of what do I do? But actually, a lot of the skills that they have are really good into moving into cybersecurity. So you've got a really a really good untapped resource because military personnel, as, as we all know, I mean, they're very used to be able to go up against an adaptive and skilled adversaries who are very much used to changing the way they operate, trying to get around the defenses that, as the good guys put in place. Their skill transference, which they may not realize, is they're very good at strategic thinking. They're team workers. They can operate very well under pressure. They're very good and like problem solving. They're happy with responsibility and making those kind of decisions. And they're very adaptable, which in the cybersecurity arena is fantastic. A lot of the military personnel that I speak to don't realize that you don't have to be super technical to, to do well in this industry. Yes, there are the kind of the very technical roles that you, that you can eventually start to mold into. But in regards to going in at some of these levels in cyber threat intelligence, information assurance, cyber project management, cyber risk, cyber defense, and penetration testing, 
they can, and it has been proven through crucial what Crucial Academy does, is you can take these individuals, you can train them over a period of um, two to three weeks, and at the end of it, they can get past the tests and accreditation and come out the other end and go into really successful jobs in cybersecurity and start to fill this this gap that we are obviously experiencing in the UK and and, and worldwide as well. I mean, everyone is kind of talking about um, that the solution to cybersecurity is, start, is automation. It's bringing in artificial intelligence, machine learning, and this will be kind of be the holy grail for the solution to cybersecurity, which to an extent, yeah, it may be, and it may start to shrink this gap of the re- demand for people to come in. But at the end of the day, you've got to realize is that the people who are going to implement artificial intelligence and machine learning, who are going to understand the anomalies that are going to be detected as a point of these kind of um, technologies, and the individuals at the end of the day who are going to have to work with this program technology and interpret and then act on its outputs are going to be people. And so that's why we still need to address this situation and this demand that that technology is only going to solve some of the solution and that we need to invest in our, our people That's Tom Huckle from Crucial Academy. The 2019 U.S. National Intelligence Strategy is out, warning of diverse and interconnected threats. That's a wars and rumors of wars kind of warning. Threats have been diverse and frequently interconnected for a long time. But it's noteworthy that cyber threats are particularly called out right after emerging threats dealing with space. The strategy notes that cyber threats have already affected confidence in our global institutions, governance, and norms, while imposing numerous economic costs domestically and globally. Adversaries are getting better at this, ODNI notes, and rapidly advancing and proliferating technology is finding its way not only into American hands, but into hands not necessarily well disposed toward the U.S. The document outlines three foundational mission objectives and four topical mission objectives, At the top of the topical objectives is cyber threat intelligence, whose goal is to, quote, detect and understand cyber threats from state and non-state actors engaged in malicious cyber activity to inform and enable national security decision-making, cybersecurity, and the full range of response activities. Quote, broadly speaking, the intelligence community will do three things to meet that objective. First, it intends to develop an increased awareness and understanding of how the opposition uses cyber, Second, it proposes to expand its tailored production and distribution of actionable cyber threat intelligence. And third, the IC intends to work to enable diplomatic, information, military, economic, financial, intelligence, and law enforcement plans and operations to deter and counter malicious cyber actors and activities. The U.S. is far from alone in calling attention to conflict in cyberspace and in expressing a determination to do something about it. France has been even blunter and more direct. Speaking yesterday in Lille, French Armed Forces Minister Florence Parly re-emphasized that nation's determination to engage across the spectrum of conflict in cyberspace, specifically including offensive cyber operations. She said last week in Paris that cyber war had begun and that France is determined to be ready to fight it. Her remarks in Lille included discussion of a coming bug bounty program and a significant investment in the cyber-industrial base, including small businesses, and there was no mitigation of the assertiveness heard so recently in Paris. Clearly, dissuasion is on the Republic's mind. Criminal Justice Secure Email, a system widely used by British barristers, 
went down last Friday and isn't expected to be fully restored for a week and a half at least. The outage is impeding the work of the country's criminal courts. According to the Register, the reasons for the outage remain unclear, but it's bad news for the courts. It's probably not going to be the case, as the Times of London somewhat breathlessly suggests, that the jails will be open and pandemonium unleashed upon the realm, but it's inconvenient to say the least, and another indication of how brittle institutions can prove when they rest on a foundation of ones and zeros. Belgian metals firm Nearstar disclosed a cyber attack yesterday that affected email systems, but not mining or production. Recovery is said to be proceeding. The company's statement suggests that business systems only were affected, which, if correct, is a good thing and a useful reminder of the importance of network segmentation. Think about it. There's no particular reason why Leopold in HR should be able to share his thoughts with a blast furnace. Finally, a CRN story reminds us that traditional vandalism remains a threat to connectivity. One such Visigoth cut Telstra cables in New South Wales for no particular reason. We hope, first, that they enjoyed themselves, and second, that they will also soon receive a visit from the New South Wales heat. Preserve us from the skids who roam the earth, seeking nothing more than the lulls. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Justin Harvey. He's the Global Incident Response Leader at Accenture. Justin, it's great to have you back. Um, you know, when it comes to folks trying to block incoming threats, I, I think sometimes people wonder, what, what's my biggest concern? Do I have to be on the lookout for criminals? Do I have to be the lookout for nation states? What's your take on this? Well, my take on it is you hear a lot of 
news and you see products that center around either cyber criminal or nation state activity. Uh, in my opinion, I think you need to build a strong cyber defense program that is able to handle both cyber criminals uh, and nation states. In my humble opinion, you're not going to weigh based upon what industry or geography and you're not going to you're not going to make architectural changes. It's not going to drive your product selection. You need to have a very strong base. Criminals, clearly, in the continuum of time, yes, there are breaches and incidents where commercial companies are hit, they lose information, their stock goes down, uh, some people get fired over it, uh, they offer identity protection, but those are really blips. Uh, the, the big major attacks are nation state. While cyber criminals can create problems for commercial companies like uh, having it affect your brand or by having to pay regulatory fines or identity monitoring, nation states really have that capable capability to effectively turn your lights out. They do that through things like uh, intellectual property theft, where a nation state can steal a company's secrets, they can build their own product, and then they can introduce those products into the same market from the exact same people that they stole that information from. And that can cost tens of millions, hundreds of millions. Or if you think about some of the high-tech providers of chips out there and computers, it could have multi-billion dollar consequences. And let's also not forget that uh, nation states have also been dabbling in the OT, the operational technology front. So things like uh, utilities and critical infrastructure providers, uh, those nation states have the capability to, uh, to do destructive attacks, which could result in the loss of human life. Now, what about for the smaller or mid-sized businesses? I think it's uh, not unusual for them to say, well, I don't really have much here. Why should I worry about nation states? You know, I don't have anything worth taking. Well, you've got to have something. You may have personal information on your employees. You may have uh, information on your customers or, uh, or on other organizations. And at the very least, you could be a jumping point for cyber criminals or nation states to launch other attacks to which you could potentially be liable. Hmm. Yeah, you think about the target attack, you know, getting in through an HVAC contractor. Even if you don't think you have anything, like you said, you could be the jumping off point for something beyond your own scale. Exactly. And in certain countries, you could be liable for uh, not having uh, your security uh, up to snuff. Hmm. All right. Well, it's good stuff to think about. Justin Harvey, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com cyber. And that's the CyberWire. 
For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.